0: Roger Green, host of the Suffering the National Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering four conversations around the general topic of cirrhosis treatment and drug development. Stephen Harrison starts this conversation by reconsidering the idea of which cirrhosis patients we should include in clinical trials and which generally do well in drug therapy. After Louise Campbell comments on the high level of engagement that cirrhosis patients and their families take in the disease, Jorn Schottenberg and Stephen launch a discussion of reasons cirrhosis may be the right target for the transition from biopsy to non-invasive tests as the standard for drug evaluation. This episode is full of big thoughts and, to use an old-fashioned phrase, has the potential to shift the paradigm on NASH drug development. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups.
1: Stephen Harrison. We are beginning to gain a little bit of knowledge in this cirrhotic population. One of the things that I found insightful most recently is that those patients that are likely to have a response to some sort of intervention still retain some degree of fat in their liver. Really, by the time you approach burned out NASH where you have no fat in the liver but clearly lots of scar, that's, that's a much tougher nut to crack. That's a much harder boat to slow down and prevent from falling over the waterfall, if you will. So that gets to who we should be putting in trials and how we should be assessing them at baseline. Early on, we we wanted to be sure to include a group of what we call cryptogenic cirrhotics, or those people who had a phenotypic expression of NASH. Maybe they were obese and diabetic, but when you did a liver biopsy, there was no fat present, lots of scar, maybe a little inflammation and ballooning. And again, I think. One of the lessons learned over time is that that's probably a a different patient and is likely to not respond as positively as if somebody that maybe had had a certain amount of fat in their liver. So uh, again, some lessons learned there as far as who we should be studying, in addition to the fact that clearly we want to focus our efforts first on the well-compensated child turcot pew a patient, those patients that that may have minimal synthetic dysfunction, but histopathologically have an amount of collagen that puts them into an F4 category. And remember also that before you do drug development in this patient population, that the regulatory authorities are going to want you to have studied this in a hepatic impairment population. So not only child's A's, but you've exposed child B patients and child C patients, and you were able to do PKPD studies and get at that. Because again, as you study a population more broadly of cirrhotic inevitably you're going to have patients that are teetering between an A and a B, and they may become a B in the middle of a trial. And if your drug is significantly, the drug exposure, the drug levels, the pharmacokinetics change significantly between an A and a B, you would want to know that before you dose that patient. So there's a lot of nuances to to studying drugs in NASH uh, cirrhotics, but clearly it can be done. And I think we're excited to be able to talk about more and more, Uh, of those studies are
0: beginning to be conducted. Roger Green. Do you have anything you want to add, Louise? Questions, thoughts?
2: Louise Campbell. The one thing I'd add is that what we try to do from more of a nursing perspective and supports perspective is to actually maximise the patient's health around their cirrhosis. Because if we can maximise that, we can actually prolong and help them help themselves. That's key. Particularly if we're going to put them into trials, they need to fully understand. But it, the one thing that corrupts up a lot and from multiple patients is they can have cirrhosis written in their letter for years. They don't necessarily understand what the word means. If they're not alcohol-related, Their first thing is, but I can't, it must be a different cirrhosis because I don't drink. It's the same conversation comes up, but spending time maximizing. We have nurse-led clinics that do FES testing in my old work area. So we spend an hour with each patient and their family, making sure that they pick up early signs of decompensation, any signs of sepsis, because the earlier we intervene, the better outcomes we have. So there is a vital role in trying to paddle that canoe in the turbulent water to stop it going over your water if we continue along the same analogy and there's a lot of strength in specialization at that level now but it needs to increase to keep these patients well enough to get to and support through the trials that are coming and in progress because it's a vital part one day can make a difference a few hours can make a difference in these patients they're all very much engaged in their health at that end so,
0: so we're talking about diagnostic challenges and classification challenges that go beyond Charles a Charles b Charles c what do we know now about using currently available tests and anything else to make the correct diagnosis of patient, A, in terms of staging and then B, in terms of what the specific challenges they're facing are.
1: Jarn Schottenberg. We've seen tremendous development in the field of non-invasive tests and we're much better at identifying patients earlier. And if I see uh, some of the NITs next to each other and I get a biopsy and it tells me it's not cirrhosis, I start to disbelieve the biopsy because I know the NIT is so close to the biology. We can pair up MRI, PDFF with MRE, or even the transplant. In elastography with a cap and tell something about the disease stage of the patients. An important step here is to really link those NITs to outcomes that and be able to do those type of studies Stephen mentioned and move away from the biopsy because it just has the same variability at least and the cirrhotic as it does with a non-cirrhotic patient population. Yeah, it, the, these NITs are, are rapidly evolving. Just to build off what Jorn said, we can use MR elastography, for instance, And uh, if you pick 5 KPA, 5 kilopascal, that's generally accepted as a diagnosis of cirrhosis. Alina Allen, in a recent publication, and her colleagues from the Mayo Clinic have now linked MRE to outcomes. So, for instance, at at a KPA of 5, if you follow those patients for 3 years, uh, there are a percentage of them, I believe it's 20%, that will actually progress to a a negative outcome over that period of time. Whereas if you pick an MRE of 8 KPA, for instance, over that same three-year period, you double the number of people that are likely to progress to an outcome. So that's exciting, where we're now able to take a non-invasive test and predict an outcome. We could do the same thing with a wet biomarker, ELF, for instance. And there are others. Certainly data with scan is evolving in this area as well. But the next step here is to be able to say, okay, let's link the data that Arun Senyal presented at AASLD, looking at solansertib and simtuzumab data, where there was a one-point improvement in fibrosis, there was a link to an improved outcome. And now we have MR elastography and L, for instance, that at a certain cut point, we're linking that to a negative outcome. So that if you draw the dots, the next step would be, what change in the NIT correlates to a one-stage improvement in fibrosis? because where we're able to do that then we can now take that NIT and use it as a surrogate for an endpoint because remember we can't take a surrogate for a surrogate but if we can get rid of the liver biopsy altogether and just take an NIT and link it to an outcome that's where we want to be so to me this is what makes studying cirrhosis such an intriguing thing to do in drug development for NASH because you're you're much closer to an endpoint than studying an F2 or an F3 patient population and In my mind, we're also much closer to having a non-invasive test that can predict an outcome. Ideally, if we could connect that dot, if we could say an MRE change of half a point is linked to a one-stage improvement in fibrosis, then we know that a one-stage improvement in fibrosis is linked to a positive change in outcome. If we enroll patients just using NITs, let's say we just use MRE, and we take people with five or higher KPA and and ideally some fat because we think those respond better, and we randomize them to drug or placebo, treat them for a period of time, minimum of six months, probably ideally a year, and repeat the MRE. And those people that have a half a point drop, if that's what's been linked to a one-stage improvement in fibrosis, then you can say that that patient is likely to have an improvement in outcome. Obviously, you would continue the trial to show that outcome actually happened. But once you do show that, now you never have. Have to go back to a biopsy, and quite frankly, you don't have to continue to show the long-term outcome. You just have to show that in a cirrhotic patient population, they had a half a point drop or whatever it turns out to be in KPA, that that is an endpoint. And to me, we're much closer to that than we are in an F2, F3 patient population. Now, the next question would be, how close are we with our drugs in being able to impact that type of response? That's a whole nother conversation, but I can begin to see how we can can design a trial to address this huge unmet need, what we need is buy-in from the regulatory authorities, and what we've heard from them, as recently as the AASLD Emerging Topic Conference, was that we need not only the hepatology division of the FDA, but we also need the biomarker qualification group of the FDA to all be together at the same seat as we design these clinical trials. Now, Yorn's much more familiar with the EMA than I am, but I suspect there's probably something similar there where there may be a different body that actually is looking at these NITs and not necessarily the regulatory body that approves a clinical trial. And so that's been the piece that's missing. Let's get those two different important entities together at the same table and begin to have a conversation about how do we move away from liver biopsy. By connecting these dots that I've mentioned, we can do that. And then the next question is, how do we find the right patient? and marry them up to the right mechanism of action to optimize that benefit histopathologically or to optimize that benefit in response to the NIT. Stephen's right on. It's in the cirrhotic field where we are close to the end point, where we can really move away from biopsy, something the field's been longing for for a
0: long time. And I'm aligned with him here. This is
1: urgently needed. And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, September 1st, with our guest Donna Cryer to explore how the Delta variant of COVID-19 will affect NASH treatment at clinical trials. It's always fun when Donna joins us to get the band back together. And this discussion has its roots in the very first days of our podcast. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.